1985-1988 was a five-star whirlwind. The five singing siblings from Romford unleashed their wholesome pop and massive shoulder pads on the British music charts, scoring 15 million record sales, six top 10 singles, 15 top 40 hits and four top 20 albums, including chart topper Silk and Steel, which spawned this awesome song, Rain or Shine. I'm Genevieve and it's an absolute pleasure to have the lead singer of Five Star join me to talk about her life after that thing she did. Please welcome Denise Pearson. Good morning, Denise. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, sweetie. How are you today? Very good. Thank you. Happy it is the weekend. I realise this is going to go out on a Wednesday, but we're recording this on a Friday and (laughs) I'm happy for the weekend. First things first, uh, I have to get this off my chest because I discovered something about you the other day. Yeah. And even though I was on my own, I actually said, what? Out loud. Um, Although actually I was not on my own. I had a sleeping cat with me uh, who I woke up with my shock. Oh. (laughs) But... Your ultimate cheat treat is chocolate and cheese oh. together. Yeah, yeah. Please explain how did this happen? Have you ever tried chocolate and cheese together? No. Oh my God. <laughs> Who has? It's so good. It's very good. I think I saw on, online actually the other day that somebody was putting together chocolate cheese in like a box set, just small amounts of chocolate cheese, but you must try it. Oh my God. Especially the orange chocolate is just amazing. Is it like you have a block of cheddar and a chunk of dairy milk and you put them together <laughs> and, in one mouth? <laughs> How does this work? <laughs> so just take a little tiny slice <laughs> and um, get, get a chocolate, a piece of chocolate bar, your favourite chocolate, and then just put them together in your mouth and chew it. And it's just so absolutely stunning, really stunning. If you like sweet and sour, then that is going to be a treat for you. Really, really great treat. Does it matter what cheese? Like, does it work with a brie, Anna Stilton, or do you need a Wensley Dale? <laughs> Any type of cheese. Which show is your favourite? <laughs> hmm. I'm not sure. My brother had a colleague who used to eat cheese and strawberry jam sandwiches every day at work, which mm. I thought was a bit weird. Oh, so cheese good. cheese and chocolate. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, try it, sweetie. Try it. I will try it. It will either be Snack Genius yes. or Snack Hell. Yes. I will try it this Christmas, I promise. Wonderful. It seems the perfect time. <laughs> Okay, time is of the essence. Let's get down to business and enter the nostalgia zone. Rewinding back to the beginning, as a brief history for anyone that's been living under a five-star rock, your dad, Buster, was a musician and played with the likes of Wilson Pickett, Desmond Decker and Otis Redding, wanted to put together a girl group under his record label, uh, and you weren't even on his radar until you, Lorraine and Doris, sang him a demo, and then he saw the light, but your mum suggested to include your brothers, Stedman and Delroy too, and so Five Star was born. And it seemed like you appeared out of nowhere when you had your chart breakthrough with All Fall Down in 1985. But you'd been working for a couple of years before that. You'd released a couple of singles and you'd been performing in pubs and clubs. Mm-hmm. So as young teenagers, when you first started out, you, you know, you were 15, Dora was two years younger. Where did you all get that drive from? Because that's quite rare for siblings, let alone five of them, to all be on the same page at that age, to want the same thing mm-hmm. and be working towards the same goal. Well, it's, it's this is a household of five teenagers sitting under mommy and daddy's roof. So when your parents tell you, turn the lights off and go to your bed now, then you do it, you know? So in the group, we were, this was our job. 
So dad was like, we're going to do this TV. We're going to do that. Why don't you guys rehearse this and go through this? And why don't you just add a little routine? And then what do you think about a costume? And everything just kind of like fell into place. You know how when things are meant to be, they just fall into place automatically. So that's what happened here. Mm. So I suppose it was inevitable that comparisons would be made between Five Star and the Jackson Five, you both groups of siblings, you dance with the same sort of synchronicity, both managed by your fathers. And as teenagers, having your dad as your manager, there must have been some security there because he knew the business and he wasn't going to take advantage of you in the way that record companies might do today with young groups. But how did that dynamic change over time? Because you know, as you get older, teens typically start rebelling against their parents. They want to be more independent, have your own mind. You start getting a bit more like, oh, dad, I don't want to do that. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. <laughs> We all grew up in the group. When I was 15 to 22, it's like, I, I want to have my husband. I want to have my children. And everybody had their own ideas. And it's like, dad was like, mm-hmm, I think this is done. Because <laughs> it's like, dad, do we have to do Top of the Pops again? So everyone was like, we were growing up. Mm. It just took its natural course. How did you find growing up in the public eyes? I mean, you know, we saw you in the video for All the Fall Down. You were still wearing braces on your teeth. Mm -hmm. Delroy's <laughs> voice broke and you had to maintain this clean cut image. And, you know, growing up is difficult for every teenager. You're discovering your identity, who you are, but having to do it in front of the world as well. Yeah. It was an amazing time, sweetie. I mean, it, it went from bringing in notes to the headmistress to get time off to do Wogan and the Royal Varieties and Top of the Pops to just growing up and wanting your own space in your own life, in your own home. Uh, but the attention was wonderful. It really was. Just getting people to, signing autographs at school <laughs> and but people recognising you on the street. And yeah, it was magnificent. It really was magnificent time. So unusually, it wasn't until your seventh single from your debut album, Luxury of Life, that you scored your first top 10 hit, The Brilliant System Addict, which was obviously ahead of its time as 40 years later, everyone is now addicted to their phones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but given that it did take seven singles to get there, you know, in today's market, a record company would usually give up by that point, especially if they're not top 20 hits as they want to see a quick return of investment. Mm -hmm. Was there ever a time when anyone thought maybe this isn't going where we want and it's time to call it a day? Mm -mm. No, there was never a time. And that was because of my dad. He's like with all fall down when that went, went straight into the chart. That was back in the day when, when you did a remix, it would turn the record around and send it back up the chart. So I remember him on the phone saying, I said, no, 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 no. We need a remix, get a remix done, and then the, the record will go up the chart for loads of our singles. So my dad was very, very dedicated and very focused, and he knew exactly what to do because, because of his experience in the music business. So there was no way that, no room for failure. He's a pro. But then everything did explode after System Addict. Uh, you released your second album, Silk and Steel, which went to number one and spent over a year on the album chart, went quadruple platinum mm -hmm. and spawned six consecutive hit singles over the following year. Brilliant pop hits like Can't Wait Another Minute, Slightest Touch and my favourite, Rain or Shine, uh, which I've been singing all week and driving my husband nuts. <laughs> uh, but, but I'm amazed that you never scored a number one, although you did come close a few times and that you were held off the top spot by Madonna, like literally every time you got close she was there yeah yeah um, watching you <laughs> but I guess that was just the 
sign of the music quality out at the time, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, 80s music is the best era, I think. Uh, one of the best eras. I mean, the 60s with James Brown and all that, that stuff was just uh, ridiculously, th that talent back then was out of this world. But the number one spot is still open. So hopefully, uh, <laughs> there's still time. There's still time. <laughs> still time. This is how I look at it. Glass half full. <laughs> uh, your music was very American sounding. Yeah. And not like British music of the time, because you worked a lot with some of the same studio musicians and songwriters as Michael Jackson. And I know RCA wanted to pigeonhole you as an R&B group. Yeah. But I love that your dad was adamant with them that your music wasn't defined by your skin colour and he didn't want Five Star to make records only for black kids and, and not only for white kids. Yeah. It was music for everyone. Yes, absolutely, sweetheart. That across the board, a pop, international. That's what he was looking for. That's why we, back in the day, you had to do the crossover. Uh, the black groups of the 80s had to cross over from the R&B to the pop. So we did. Uh, we went from Let Me Be The One, um, Awful Down, to uh, Rain or Shine, Systematic, Can't Wait, Side of Touch, If I Say Yes, the pop uh, avenue. And, yeah, music is, a, is the food of love. You know, it's for everybody to enjoy. And I know that successful... Black British groups in the early 80s were relatively rare. Um, I, th I could only really think of musical youth around the same time, really. Mm -hmm. So it, it was really significant when Five Star won Best Group at the Brit Awards in 1987, the first black group to do so, and unbelievably still the only black group to have ever won Best Group. And up until 2021, the only female-led group to win that award until Little Mix won. Right. And I think I was probably a bit too young to clock it at the time. But that achievement, how conscious were you of its significance and how that would be received and inspire other black and non-white kids? I think it's wonderful. We didn't actually go out to achieve that kind of status or, or the records, you know. It, it was just a love of passion, following our passion regardless of skin colour, regardless of the only thing right there was the crossover, I think. And I think it's a fantastic achievement and I'm very proud of our um, our legacy. And I think they, they told us before we went on stage that we'd won. Oh, so really? So we prepared our speech. Yeah, yeah. We prepared everything. We had our gowns designed and yeah, it was just a magnificent event. It was like five star and then it's like we all got up and went onto the stage. I think Simply Red that year went on the news and said he was complaining that we won <laughs> we won the award, you know, but um we put in so much hard work and I think it was well deserved. Absolutely well deserved. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk fashion. Yeah. Stedman had been studying fashion at college, so he took the lead on your costumes for performances. And looking back now, you realise what a challenge and achievement it was to style you because you were three girls, two guys. You had to all look the same, mm -hmm. but individual, yeah. with the girls still looking feminine and the guys looking masculine. And yet it worked. And it's pretty amazing that someone so young was able to nail that. <laughs> he did. Yeah, 100%. And um, the costumes were all the same. They didn't have anything different for the boys than they, they had for the girls. So they were all the same. You know, the top, the bottoms, the belt and the boots. Well, the boots, maybe the girls had the little bit of heel. But yeah, he did a magnificent job. Really, really great job. 
Is it true that your shoulder pads were really so big you had to walk down corridors sideways? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we were getting there. <laughs> we were doubling up on those things. It's like, yeah, look at that edge. <laughs> it's sharp. No, it doesn't. Take a couple pairs of pads out. <laughs> I read it was five star legend. I'm glad you can put that to bed now. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I think we were watching too much of um Dynasty and, and Dallas. That's when shoulder pads were really in, wasn't it? It's like, whoa, I look cool. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I have to mention the infamous instant on going live when you were all on the show promoting with every heartbeat and a caller phoned in and verbally abused you. Mm. And I guess everyone's used to it now as trolling on social media. But back then it was quite shocking, especially on kids Saturday morning TV. How did that affect you all at the time? Um, his name was Elliot and he called in. It was April Fool's actually. And he called in and it... Uh, Del, <laughs> I, I can't forget the look on Delroy's face. He was kind of like, he kind of, his hand dropped with the phone. It was like, what? And I, I was like, don't take it to heart. You know, not everything's about us. You know, it might be that he's having a really bad day. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Doris did actually, I think it was a year and a half ago, got in touch with Elliot and he apologized online for that day. So... <laughs> Was, I'm afraid to say, I don't want to burst the bubble, yeah. but I'm afraid that it was a hoax, that that Elliot on Twitter was not the real Elliot. Really? Yeah. I used to work on the BBC News website and my old team, yeah. who was a very big five-star fan and wrote you letters when he was 11. Okay. He did a, sort of like an investigation into it because somebody messaged him saying that they were the real Elliot and somebody was impersonating them but then he also had like three other people who also messaged him that said that he was Elliot and ah. people were impersonating him and then it seemed like my colleague actually did track down the real Elliot who happened to have a cassette tape recording yeah. that he made that day right which was the kind of persuasive evidence that this was the right Elliot that my colleague was speaking to because the tape continued after he got cut off right. on the phone on the TV program. Yeah. And his explanation was that he actually was a big five-star fan, mm. but he felt like he'd kind of grown out of your music a bit and he was annoyed with his sister. Oh, sweet. And God. his dog was barking because the postman had just been. <laughs> and uh, he didn't plan it. He was just going to call in and then it just kind of like blew up, came out of nowhere. Oh. And then he left the house because he thought he would get in trouble. And the BBC rang and spoke to his mum and said he needed to write an apology letter. Right. But even now as an adult, he said he has no regrets. Oh. No, he has no regrets for his teenage self. As an adult, he sees it differently. Yeah, yeah. But as a teenager, he thinks he doesn't regret what he did in his teenage years. But... So see, I was right. It wasn't about us. It was about the situation in his house. <laughs> 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 well, that's great that you tracked. I've got clarification on that. <laughs> I'll send you the story. You can read it. Thank you, <laughs> The other thing we have to talk about is the mansion you all lived in. Yeah. Stone Court in Sunningdale. And I remember the BBC programme where Anthea Turner came over in a crib-style visit and everybody got to see your, your nine bedrooms and your dance studio and the recording studio and all the luxury cars out front, the Ferraris, Lamborghinis. Yeah. What was the thinking behind letting the cameras in? Because showing that sort of luxury lifestyle at that time in the 80s here in England, yeah. was inevitably going to make you an easy target for the press to attack you and for people yep. to be jealous of you <laughs> and what you had, even though you had worked for it and earned it. 
That's very true. I don't know why. I don't know. It was kind of like we invented MTV Cribs because <laughs> that that wasn't around at the time when we did that. It mm. did actually make us an easy target. And you're right about that. But I don't know why it happened. We just had breakfast with Anthea and it was lovely. And I guess uh, probably it, it just went the way it did. Were you really in the Guinness Book of Records for being the youngest female to drive a Lamborghini? <laughs> yes, sweetheart. <laughs> drive and own. <laughs> I was 19. So when I saw that car in the um, magazine, so I was the only one who didn't have a car at the time. And I said, Dad, how, how comes I don't have a car? Because I couldn't drive at the time. So he said, um, tell me which one you want and I'll, I'll go get you one. And I said, all right. And so I showed him the Lamborghini in the magazine. And he said, you want that one? And I said, yeah, I like it because the doors flip up. <laughs> so he said, go and pass your test and I'll buy you the car. And so I've got a, this awesome picture of me in front of my <laughs> black Lamborghini with champagne interior with my learner's <laughs> learner plate holding it and saying, yeah, I just passed my test. <laughs> it's brilliant. I love that picture. Oh. Okay, it's time to leave the nostalgia zone and enter what I like to call the latid zone, otherwise known as life after that thing I did. Hello, Genevieve here. Just wanted to quickly stop and say if you're a regular listener, thank you for hitting that play button again. And if this is your first time, welcome. You have four whole seasons of nostalgia to catch up on. So if you haven't already, please do follow and subscribe. It's totally free. And if you'd like to support the show, stick around at the end to find out how. Now, back to the latid zone. It seemed like after Silk and Steel, the group started to lose momentum a bit with each single release, unfortunately, slipping down the chart. And then you released your fourth album, Rock the World, where you came back with a new, mature, edgier look that was very mm -hmm. similar to Michael Jackson's bad style, which also seemed to draw criticism. Yeah. Um, and I know typically boy bands or girl bands today usually have about a five-year window at their peak before either they get older or their fans grow older and effectively grow out, in invert commas, out of their music. So as Five Stars chart success started to falter, do you think you were victims of that or were there other factors at play? I think it was just inviting them to the house. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. <laughs> um, I think we were growing up too, sweetie. And with Michael Jackson's bad, it's like, whoa, that is bad. And then it's like, yeah, let's wear some black. And then we were in the quarry, Rock My World, with the, with the Lamborghinis. And the music was banging. I think the music was the best that we've ever done. Leon Silver's Another Weekend, Rock My World was absolutely amazing. That Terry Wogan performance was out of this world. You know, when I watch it back now, and uh, we were way ahead of our time. What we did was magnificent. The plan was still magnificent, but even better. But what goes up must come down. Yeah. I guess it was that stage where, you know, we were everywhere and then everyone's like, oh, oh, it's them again. People kind of like get fed up a little bit. But yeah, it, it, it took its course. Everything took its course. But I think we were at our prime with a, another weekend and Rock My World. That album was just stunning. Amazing. So alongside this, tensions also started to arise with your record label 
RCA. And there was speculation at the time that maybe your dad's creative control of the group wasn't in harmony with RCA's business interests. And that led to a deterioration of the relationship. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate it must have been difficult for your dad to balance the role of manager with also being your dad and acting in the interests of the family. But how much were you aware of the internal politics that was going on? Or were you just protected from it all? I'm always protected from it all. But I think um, RCA, Sony wanted us to, um, they wanted to change our management. And I mean, that's dad. Dad is looking at us like, <laughs> he spoke to us before we went and he's like, they want to replace me. They want to change your management. And it was like, okay. <laughs> so we all went in and it was a no before we all went in. So um, yeah, we, we all stuck together as a family, as you should. And the dynamics were changing. You know, the group is, we were all getting older. We all wanted different things. The record company wanted different things. And I think, you know, when you are exposed to, I don't think anybody knew that we had those exotic cars or we lived in the mansion in Sunningdale. It was quiet. So we, <laughs> I think we should have kept it quiet. <laughs> 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 You're never going to look at a Lamborghini in the same way again. Never. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> so in the typical British press way, after a few years where they build you up and celebrate you, they tear you down yeah. and the knives came out for you with lots of stories about money troubles, selling your mansion and, and finding any reason to write a negative story, which ultimately led you all to leave the UK in 1990 and move to California, uh -huh. which is a thing a lot of British pop stars seem to do just to get away and be unrecognised and be normal. Yes. Uh, how did you feel about that at the time? Because you're ultimately leaving everything behind to start over in a new country, you're all still young. Mm -hmm. um, and I think fans kind of felt like you left a bit under a cloud. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, well, we just um, sold up, moved out to Hatfield, actually, and lived there for a year or two. And that house was spooky. But there were press <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> there were press everywhere. I remember um, they, the sun had the front cover and it said, bought a gardener. And I was in my shorts and my um, with my clippers to clip the hedge because I was clipping the hedge before they came to hunt us down <laughs> and take pictures. And we were stuck in the house for about two, three weeks because the press wouldn't leave. And so I, I said to dad, you know what, dad, open up the shutters. I'm just going to go out because I want to cut the hedge. I want to finish cutting the hedge. <laughs> so I did. I put a little bit of makeup on, got my shorts and my leggings on and went out and they were like, Ch -ch 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 -ch. and I just gave them a little wave and started cutting the, the thingies, the hedges again. And it was great. It got front page and... <laughs> <laughs> cutting a hedge front page news that's it um and that's the only way to do it is just face it don't hide away from it it was just two weeks of darkness and the shutters were closed and everyone nobody was leaving the house but then um after that we moved to sunny california which was amazing Had this gorgeous gorgeous house with a pool uh just chilling and relaxing and in our shorts and as soon as you arrived there, I was like, where are the Baywatch people? The ones that used to be on and it's like, everybody just looks so normal. Hardly anybody was tan. 
<laughs> here we were just walking down the street with in our makeup and our hair all done. It's like, where are all the gorgeous people that we see in that on the TV program? Yeah, but we soon got uh, used to California and life was brilliant there. I met my husband there. We had our two kids. Yeah, life was amazing. And so after you moved to the US Five Star, released another four albums over the next decade, mm -hmm. um, although unfortunately they didn't replicate the success of your earlier records. And as the lead singer of the group, you must at some point have felt pressure to break away and pursue a solo career. Yeah. Do you think your dad's desire to keep you all together as a group prevented you from having a solo career at that time? I really, really did want to have a solo career. And we did actually go to a meeting at Sony with uh, Randy Jackson. Mm. Not not the, one of the original Jacksons, but Randy Jackson from... The American Idol judge. There you go. Yeah. And <laughs> with a single. And he's like, yeah, we're going to blow you up. It's going to be great. We're going to blow you up. And it kind of, we waited a, another year and it kind of fizzled out. So that didn't happen. One or two times after that, it kind of like happened where dad said, okay, we, we recorded Through the Fire, Chaka Khan's song. And that was nice, but it didn't kind of uh, take, you know, it didn't happen. And I guess everything in God's time, you know, um, in the right time, in God's time, things will happen. So it didn't happen at the time that we wanted it to. So during this time, as you mentioned, you got married, had two children, your son, Karen, and daughter, Hassa, who is a mini-me version of you. She's following, <laughs> looks just like you now, um, and is following your footsteps as a singer-songwriter. But you were keen to step away from the limelight and just concentrate on being a mum and having a family life for those years. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm grateful for, that we did actually move to California because that's where I met my husband. Um, I met him for a blind date, actually, because I'm I'm not a socialiser. I don't go out much. But when I went out, I met my friend, Helen, and she's a beautiful Persian lady. Uh, she introduced me to her beautiful Persian friend with his green eyes. <laughs> and then we went on a couple dates and it was like, ah, OK, yeah, this is the one. <laughs> I want my kids to look like him. <laughs> <laughs> so I got exactly what I wanted, a boy and a girl. And yeah, life was absolutely amazing. So after 13 years in the US, you decided to move back to the UK and start pursuing a solo career and projects outside of Five Star, including writing with the likes of Ryan Tedder, who went on some writing retreats and made your West End debut in 2009 in the Michael Jackson spectacular Thriller Life yes. alongside a young Leighton Williams, who of course is currently on Strictly Come Dancing and doing very very well oh, um and was this the time that you changed the spelling of your name yeah um yes I did back to my my birth spelling d-e-n-i-s-e I don't know why uh <laughs> I should have just left it the way it was but um I don't know I after after having the kids and coming back it was kind of like a new chapter you know you start new things are new coming home again uh, it was wonderful to be home with the family and it was great to be um in thrill alive oh my god what what an experience i mean i was never a michael jackson fan i knew he was you know he's a phenomenal talent but i i was never a fan i was always a Smokey robinson fan lorraine and doris were michael jackson fans but when i had to learn his songs and then kind of like do his moves it was like oh my god this guy was he's his essence it, it really sat with my thread 
you know, the percussiveness of his vocals and his moves. And it's like, wow, look at Pearson. Uh, Denise has really got his vocals down. <laughs> and I was quite surprised because it's like, wow, this man was phenomenal. But you do do the, as you say, like the percussive noises. You yeah. do that so well. Yeah, it's because I feel it. I feel what he was feeling to the point where when I even when I was singing another weekend, I was and I was stamping my foot, and they're like, Denise, can you um not stamp your foot so much because it's picking up on the mic. <laughs> so um in the beginning, I think in the beginning of another weekend, you can actually hear um when I'm doing the percussiveness, you can hear my foot when they solo the vocal, you can hear the the tapping of the foot in the studio but I I just connected with I connected with that young man whoa yeah amazing so another thing you did was the first series of The Voice in 2014 where you were on Sir Tom Jones's team after he turned his chair for you yes. although you unfortunately got eliminated in the knockouts but I love that you saw the experience not as a competition that you set out to win, but rather an opportunity to relaunch your career and get back out there and show what you can do. And it, yes. and it worked because you landed a record deal um, after and released your debut solo album in print and supported the Jacksons on tour. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a positive. Plan worked. <laughs> Plan worked 100%. <laughs> I don't think they were happy that I was saying that. Well, I just really want to use it as a stepping stone. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the look on the lady's face um, well can you say because they wanted it more of a competition well I, and then I had to go back and say well I'm going to use all of my knowledge that I've learned over in the business <laughs> to come through in this competition <laughs> but it's all for entertainment purposes you know at the end of the day so um, those things you don't take seriously. The exposure, very grateful for. Yeah. For what it's worth, you were robbed. Anyway, the, <laughs> well, thing, the, thing, the thing I'm amazed is usually singers' voices change as they get older. And we've seen, not naming any names, but there are some female singers who 30, 40 years on struggle to hit the high notes now. Yeah. But your voice seems to have gotten better with age. Or, or maybe it was just hidden in the type of pop songs that Five Star sang. But yeah. what have you done to preserve that? Oh, if I tell you that, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Trade secrets. <laughs> Trade secret. Uh, earlier in our career, I was singing through my nose a lot. It's very nasal. And then I went to, because I've never had singing lessons, but Daddy thought he'd send us one time. So he sent us one time. And then the, um, the, the person said, sing this note. And then I went, eh, and then he grabbed my nose and then the, the noise stopped. My voice stopped and he says, stop singing through there and then you'll be fine. And so I did and because I, I had trouble hitting my high notes in Winning. Winning was one of the tracks that we sang on the early album, uh, Silk and Steel, Luxury of Life, sorry. And Lorraine sang, I said we're winning. She sang that part because I couldn't hit that. So over the years, I practiced and practiced. So when I went to Los Angeles, I was practicing to Whitney. I was practicing to Mariah. I was practicing to Celine. And I was harmonizing to their high notes. Oh. So I learned um, how to hit my high notes. 
So I taught myself, I, I made it a point to say, Denise, you, you need to extend your vocal. You need to grow in, in, in your vocal ability. So that's what I did. Quick mention for Pippi Pocket and the Kingdom of Precious Delights, oh. the children's book you wrote in 2020, which was initially drawn by your children and inspired the illustrations. That's amazing. Yes, yes sweetie. So yeah, when I came back, Pippi Pocket and the Kingdom of Delicious Delights, that's the one. Just continue your obsession with chocolate. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and treats and sweets, because there's nothing like British sweets. There used to be a, a place called uh, Pickwick Pantry over in La uh, Los Angeles, and that's the only place, extortionate prices, that we could get Cadbury's chocolate. And we always used to go there and just, like, raid the place because we couldn't get um, our, our Cadbury's from anywhere else. And just like I said, there's nothing like English uh, sweets, the licorice all sorts and all of these different sweets that we have, the double-deckers, and the, oh my God, they're just amazing. So I thought I'd uh, <laughs> write about them in this book. So yeah, yeah, I love Piffy. I know what you mean about extortionate prices. I've just come back from a, a weekend in Stockholm yeah. and a Terry's chocolate orange was £9. No way. Nine pounds. <laughs> They're ridiculous. I was like, do you know how much they are in Sainsbury's? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, wow. But I should have bought a time, bought them in my suitcase and sold them on street corners. For yes. The there you go. For next time. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Because Santa Claus in his sleigh go bring you brains and tanks. We must appreciate the love we have today. Snowflakes of fun. So let's talk now because over the summer you released a new single, the reggae inspired Forever Young, which hit number one on the Heritage chart. And I just played a little clip of it there. You've released a Christmas single, Santa Claus is Coming, bringing the Caribbean vibe to Christmas uh, and is also number one in the iTunes reggae chart. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And the music video is quite personal, isn't it? Because it features your old home videos and even your own Christmas decorations make an appearance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's So that's the first house. The, the scene where you see seven Christmas stockings on the fireplace, that's the first house that we um, we lived in, in Tarzana, uh, Donna Avenue, it was called. It was gorgeous, really gorgeous. And the clip of Daddy at the end of, of the video with my daughter, she just turned one, and Mummy. And of my ex-husband actually teaching my, <laughs> my kids in the beginning um, how to ski over in Big Bear. And I thought it would be nice to kind of like have a nostalgia video where you kind of like go back and look at some memories. And I thought I'd add, you know, some of mine and show it to the British public behind the scenes, not sparkly sequins and, and all of that stuff. Some family stuff where daddy's smiling. I've never seen my dad so happy, you know, 100% happy. He couldn't wait for his grandkids. And right there, we, we captured one image where he was just just so elated and so happy with his grandkids, you know, because he worked so hard throughout the years. And um, yeah, I wanted to show that and share that with everybody. 
And both songs feature on your new album, which will be out next year, yes. Frequency, which when you say it sounds like Frequency, but it's spelled Free Queen C, which it, it makes sense when you see yes. it. Um, <laughs> and you've really leaned into your Jamaican heritage for this record. <laughs> How do you find the challenge of releasing music now as a heritage act? Are you consciously writing songs for the contemporary audience or for the five-star audience in mind that you've brought along with you over the years? Everybody. Everyone. Uh, music is the food of love, just like I said. And anything that's dropping down from the heavens onto my computer is what I'm putting out. <laughs> because it's so hot. I can't believe what's coming out right now. It's like, okay, I've got all the tracks that I need for my album. And it's like, okay, you can just sit and kind of like relax a little bit. And so I'm relaxing. And then something tells me something's coming through. So I put on my, um, get my uh, program up my project and this song just I just put this beat down and then these lyrics come and it's like I'm, I'm just taking all of this in um, I, I have to tell myself you haven't compiled all the songs yet they're getting better and better the production is getting better and better and I'm just loving what's coming out now I started uh, writing for Free Queen C about five months ago and so I should have it all in the bag just still songs coming and coming. And it's all coming very patua, pop patua. And I'm so happy with what is um, falling into my lap from straight from the heavens. So this album is still, um, it will be released in the summer, spring, summer, actually. Yeah, I think I have more than enough material for it to be released in the spring. I did want it to be released on my birthday, 13th of June, but we'll see. How do you know when you're done? How do you know when to stop tinkering with it? Well, I have to because I have a release date. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. That'll do it. <laughs> Got work to plan. So, yeah, just going to pick the best material and for you guys and probably use um, some of the um, tweak the rest for a, a next album or just put some extra tracks on. I have to say, you look amazing right now. Oh, thank you. I saw a 2014 documentary with you made to coincide with the release of Imprint. And you look good then, but with respect, you looked a bit more conservative, yes. classy, but dare I say, a little bit mumsy. Mm -hmm. And now you look like Beyonce's sister. Thank you so much. With your long blonde hair, <laughs> showing a bit of leg. You even have a topless picture yes. one month in your 2024 calendar. Yes, I It's did. like you've had, you've had a bit of a renaissance. Or a denaissance, if you will. Denaissance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what's happened over the past few years that, that's brought to life this new you? Well, <laughs> when I did Imprint, I was uh, with a person who was like, okay, can we get a wardrobe for a 30-year-old? You know, 30, 40-year-old. And it was like, what did he just say? <laughs> because I've never, ever felt my age. So I was kind of like dressed that way because he, he was kind of like, they were funding. And I said, I need to change my name back to D-E-N-I-E-C-E -E because that's my performance name. He says, no, no, it's going to confuse people. So he, he did it, D-E-N-I-S-E. -E. I was very grateful that, you know, I had this investor. Yeah. But I wasn't fully in it. So what you see now is fully me. I'm in control of everything. <laughs> this is your Sasha Fierce. <laughs> this is my this is my Denise Pearson, proper, proper, proper Denise. You know, this is me, uh, the Gemini. What you see is uh, what you get. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm expressing myself now. I'm not saying, okay, let's put this package together this way. And you can't say this and you can't say, there aren't any lines that you have to color in inside. I am going outside the box, baby. I'm, I'm going to take the top off and do the top thing. And it's going to be recorded in history because I want it recorded in history, you know? And I look fabulous. You do look fabulous. You're channeling that Janet Jackson album cover where she's topless but has some other guy's hands on her boobs. Absolutely. They're your hands in it. But, you know, yes. Yes. Why not? You look amazing. <laughs> if Thank I looked you. as good as you, I'd be doing the same. Thank uh, you, sweetie. Sadly, I do not look as good as you. Oh, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, so it is the 40th anniversary of Five Star. Yes. And over the years, you've all partially reunited in a few different guises mm -hmm. for some nostalgia tours with all of you last reuniting in 2012 at Rewind, which your dad was able to see before he sadly passed not long after. Yeah. And I know there's lots of stories about the relationship between you all and it's not like music history isn't filled with other sibling groups who fall now like oasis or bros or sister sledge yeah but what would it take for all five of you to reform again for maybe one more tour if if not for this milestone anniversary um <laughs> uh, give the rest a million each they're probably considerate <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know. I, I did invite them for my Christmas song, actually. And I said, you guys, I've recorded a Christmas song. We all can do it and get together and, you know, put it out as our first Christmas song for our 40th anniversary. And so Stead sent it to everyone. Everyone loved it and said, Denzel, it's so magnificent. You should release it. And I said, yeah, I'm definitely releasing it. But would you guys <laughs> like to jump in on it? <laughs> And they said, um, well, no thanks, Dan. You go ahead. And it's like, all right. It's like, you've really missed a trick there. So um, I went ahead and I released it. And it's just phenomenal. Everybody, everyone I play it to, my video, my song, everybody loves it. But I really, um, I don't know what it would take. I don't know what it would take. I just, I'd have to have that conversation with my brothers and sisters. Yeah, but I'd, I mean, I'm all up for it. I've always been up for it. Because I mean, I, I kind of felt like the the 2012 concert rewind was kind of like the last time that you did it for kind of for your dad's benefit, so he could see it one last time. Yeah. How about doing it one last time for your mum? Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. That's true. Um, but dad was the one. <laughs> dad was the one who put us together. <laughs> I think it means more to him than mommy. Mommy's not too bothered. <laughs> mom's like you're hungry i'll cook you some food come around everybody come around for christmas and just all laugh and get together that's that was that's what makes mommy happy do you think you're gonna have a, a christmas all together this year yeah yeah definitely i'm down from harrogate now i was four hours away up north um so i've just moved back down to ascot now so i'm just around the corner so everybody's going to um go around to mommy's she, she cooks salmon she cooks gammon she cooks curry chicken and rice and peas and then enough to feed an army it. basically Enough to feed an army. <laughs> so it's a variety of food. I love, I love going to mummy's for Christmas. It's amazing. Then she has those um, drunk cakes. I call them drunk cakes. You know, the Jamaican rum cake um, with the with the raisins and... Heavy on the booze. Yeah, you have to soak it with that Harvey's sherry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a festive feast. It's time. You know, it's a celebration of, of the birth of Christ. And we all got to break some rum cake. 
<laughs> and, and have some good food. Oh, well, it's good that all five of you will still be able to get together for Christmas and enjoy the festive period. Absolutely. Denise, it's been so lovely chatting with you today. Best of luck with the Christmas single and I look thank forward you. to the new album next year. Oh, thank you so much for having me, sweetheart. Have a Merry Christmas. Lots of love. Massive thanks again to Denise for such a fun chat. Her Christmas single, Santa Claus is Coming, is out now, so go and buy or stream it in all the usual places and add it to your Christmas playlists. You can also check out Denise's website for upcoming tour dates and also a gallery of her looking absolutely stunning. It's all at denisepearsonofficial.com. Hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Celebrity Catch Up. As I always say, I know there's lots of podcasts to choose from, so thank you so much for choosing this one. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. It's totally free. And if you'd like to support the show, visit celebritycatchup.com where you can donate to help keep the lights on. It's always nice to get a five star rating or review. No pun intended this episode. And also people are more likely to listen if someone else says it's worth it. So please do that on your podcast platform of choice. It would totally make my day. And do follow me on social media and share the pod so others can discover and listen too. Just search for Celebrity Catch Up and you'll find me. Until next time. Thanks for listening.